this morning we're going to continue on reconciliation. Again, we have, this is like, I don't know if you could call them parts or whatever, but this is where I'll continue as we shared on Sunday on reconciliation. And we went into the Greek words. I'm not going to go into those because I already did on, on yesterday, but there's a difference in these Greek words where they're brought out in Hebrews 2.17 and where it's brought out in, in, uh, in 1 John 2.2, 2, where that's brought out. And that reconciliation is something that he made apart from any of us. Okay? But we can function in it. We can begin to function in it with our will submitted. And that's when we get into the other Greek word, where we get into in Romans 5, 10, and 11, and we even see it in 1 Corinthians 7, 11, and in, of course in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that in uh, 16 to 21, brought out very beautifully and very, very clearly. Again, reconciliation. So when we don't function in who we are in Christ, in, in our experience, based upon a proper position, then what do we live in? Like this morning, God dealing with us with irritation because all irritation is, is a form of alienation. We're not participating. We went into the word not to be alienated. Alienated. Apollotruo. A-P-A-L-L-O-T-R-I-O-O. It literally means to estrange away. But the basic meaning is to be a non-participator. A non-participant, and we shared this yesterday, and I'll just do it for review. Even in the 1828 dictionary, look what it says. To withdraw as to the affections. Something else has got my affections now. My emotions, based upon thoughts that aren't right. So, to withdraw as to the affections, listen, to make indifferent where love or friendship before subsisted. Listen, listen, this is what it means, alienated, to apply to a wrong use. Oh boy. No wonder it says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And of course it wouldn't if the thought wasn't. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit with which you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Sealed there, even in Ephesians 4.30, is proof of, where, proof of ownership, meaning we're not our own. We don't have a right to be irritated. We don't have a right to be bothered. Why? Because all that was crucified, literally, through the cross in Galatians 6 and verse 14. Unless it is, based upon Romans 6, 1 through 6, that old man being crucified, then the cross is not effective in the work that Christ accomplished on it. Then we will find something to glory in. And the only thing that we can glory in is when what is met, not met in us, what we desire to be met in the flesh, then out comes what? Irritation. We're irritated. And that's true with any of us because we have that flesh in Romans 8, 9 that's in us. Here's that word in. But we're not of. We are not of that any longer. And so that word reconciliation, we're either being reconciled. We brought out yesterday in its very basic meaning, like, again, the Holy Spirit would take and use the Koine Greek. He would take the, the classic Greek and the Attic Greek, the old Greek, and he would bring it into a, 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 and bring it way above even that. And that's something only God can do. He can, only God, the Holy Spirit, can even take the language of the Bible and bring it far above what no man could ever do. No born-again man could ever do. 
based upon John 16, 13 and 14, and 1 John 2, 20, and 1 John 2, 27. He does only what God can do. So God having given us his son, and the son giving himself to his father, that still is God, and then it takes God, the Holy Spirit, to take those things, to show them, to actually give them to us, in our experience, through being humbled. And, and that's an amazing thing. Just think about the thing, that he would take time with us. That he would take time with us. When we're irritated or even ignorantly rejecting him and living in alienation, and he would still... Talk about the love of God. I'm speaking about my own life, I promise you. I'm speaking about me and not another soul. Just me, that, that he would take the time. So we're either being reconciled, or we're either, either that or we're being alienated. We're either participating or not our non-participator. And remember, there's no neutrality in Christ, Christianity. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 30, and Mark 9, verse 40, that uh, he that is not with me is against me. Think about that. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathers not, listen to this one, scatters abroad scatters and enters into confusion and, and thus those that are around me get in, involved in that confusion also. That's why it's so necessary, this child training and, and this loving, loving, even loving, gentle chastisement through the word. I mean, it's really it's God loving us and caring for us. And 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him because he does care for you. Cast all your anxiety, everything that would cause you anxiety, once and for all, cast it on him. Result, you will experience his care for you, something you can't do for yourself or anybody else. And when you try to do it, it's 1 Peter 5, 7, because you have an adversary who's a lot more powerful than you in the flesh. Seeking whom he may rip to shreds and swallow down with all kinds of thoughts and bad thoughts, bad emotions, and then everything becomes, everything is, seems like it's directed against me. And God is for us in Romans 8 31, proved it in verse 32. Having given us his son, will he not freely give us all things? And it's one thing for him to give his son to you when he did in terms of salvation, it's another thing for him to continue to give him in terms of the truth, the beautiful truth and the proper image and the growth of that in proper preaching and teaching. It's another, it's another whole thing. And the enemy just gets Christians satisfied with just being saved. That's enough. Live like the world and I'm going to heaven. I don't care about anything else. Well, God does. <laughs> and that's why he says, cast all your care upon him. Because if there's anxiety, there's going to be irritation. And if there is... Who does God resist? And we think it's people. We think it's people. No, God, in James 4, 6, resists the proud. God, anti-tassel, he resists the proud. But, separated from that, and that's his, but he gives greater grace, my zone of Cameron, to those that he has humbled. Therefore, in that place, submit yourself to God then in that place you have Christ between you and the devil, then Christ in you and you and him resist the devil and he flees from you. Out goes whatever's causing the trouble. 
But God would even use that like he used in Job. In Job 23 and verse 16, the Almighty troubles me, what, to make my heart soft, so that in Psalm 119, 130, the entrance of his word has to have an entrance. That entrance is humility. We have it positionally. Needs to have an entrance experientially to give light and life and understanding. So we either are being reconciled or we're being alienated, okay? And then again, when I'm alienating, we can alienate me. He's divided me. He separated me experientially from Christ who is my life. And, and again, the, the part of alienation, and we must remember and review from Sunday, yesterday, the alienation was on our part, never was on God's part. He had to be propitiated so his love and his justice could be first satisfied. Otherwise, he wouldn't be who he is in his nature. And you can't separate God's any part of God's nature like some would seek to do by teaching annihilationism and universalism and all these other isms that are just no more than the, the vain thoughts of man, where God is not in all in any of their thoughts in Psalm 10, verse 4. And then they begin to think in Psalm 50, verse 21, that, that God is just like them. They're like God now in their own thinking. They make God to be formed how they want him to be in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. But then he says, I'm going to come and listen. Here's what we're going to get into this morning. And set things in order. Because if we don't function in proper order, we don't function properly, experientially, being reconciled. And reconciliation has everything to do with not the God of religion, but the God of relationship. Everything. So either being reconciled or alienated will affect relationship. First, it starts with me, then it goes to those that are closest to us, and then it goes out to everybody else. God was never, that's what he needed to be propitiated. We needed to be reconciled. Reconciled. Notice that? Reconciliation. On God's part, though, but what was it? It was God's righteous judgment against sin that were in his creatures. We brought that out yesterday. And that righteousness must be met. Listen, in order, who is God's order? It's Christ. Is there any order outside of Christ? 1 Corinthians 14, 40, God does all things decently and in order. Who is his order? Who's God's one thought? In John 1, verse 1. Well, the one thought is the one word, that's Christ. No wonder Paul said, <laughs> no wonder he had to say on his leaving the Ephesians after preaching there day and night for three years, and they were weeping because he was going. He said, I commend you to God in Acts 20, 32. He said, I commend you to God and to the word, the word, this, this word, Greek article, this word, no other kind, this word. I commend you to, to God and th this word of grace, which is able to build you up and to have you experience what's in yours and your position as your inheritance in him, something that no man can take away positionally, but something that so many Christians fall very short of in their experience. We brought this out yesterday. is because Satan has Christians hungering after all kinds of other things. All kinds of other things. He develops a certain appetite 
He develops a certain appetite. He gets Christians used to feasting on things of the world. They no longer have an appetite for Christ. They no longer, in Psalm 34 and verse 8, taste and see that he's good. Why? Because in Psalm 34 verse 2, this is it. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Be glad in a way that no other appetite will do other than Christ who is the spiritual food. We see that in John, the sixth chapter. You can start at verse 30 and go right down to verse 57, where Christ is that spiritual food. That, that goes into where we have communion. And it's to be on a continual basis. It's not just to celebrate it like some rite once a month and then just be okay with it. That speaks of, every, that speaks of a continual fellowship. Continuing to drink his blood, the finished work, and to feast on his body. And that simply means, again, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We don't live unto ourselves. We don't. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we were bought with a price. Furthermore, in 2 Corinthians 1, 22, and 2 Corinthians 5, 5, and in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, we were sealed. And that seal means, bought, God is saying, bought, mine, not your own. And then the word comes in in Hebrews 4.12 and constantly has to separate what we think we are to ourselves apart from God and bring us right back into the reality of a proper image. That proper image is spirit, soul, and body. Not just soul, self-conscious, and being subject to the needs of the body. And making that so-called life and then asking God to, to bless those particular things. You know, God will never help or bless the flesh. And it pays to know the difference. And you and I won't apart from continual, precise preaching and teaching. Boy, if we, how important is it for pastors to preach and teach and to be occupied with that fully? Fully. I don't know. I mean, what do you do with Acts 6, verse 4? That's what a pastor teacher does. He gives himself to prayer and to ministering the word. And that goes into 1 Timothy 5, 17. Studying the word until you're exhausted, meaning you can't even do anything else. Study to the point of exhaustion. And then to preach it, in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, whether you feel like it or not, whether it's received or not, and thank God when it's his words that, that are in our mouth and in Jeremiah 1, 9, we won't be bothered with Jeremiah 1, 8, looking at other people's faces or whatever their response is and don't allowing their response to stop the flow of the counsel of God to them. Because that would just end up just being sentimentality. And boy, when we don't know God's order in a local assembly, boy, the things that we will allow and put up with. <sighs> God, no wonder it says to, in Titus 1 and verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are unbelieving, even their conscience is defiled. And don't think a Christian can't have that. Oh boy. And I don't want to think that about me personally. So, again, 
not being alienated. The alienation wasn't on God's part. It's just that his righteousness in his proper order had to be had to bring us back and bring back that creature that was alienated. You know, that's what he's doing this morning with the word. In some form, either through ignorance or rebellion, we were functioning in alienation. And the word comes back, separates the soul where the alienation is from the spirit. And makes us true worshipers. Boy, if we, oh boy, what is true worship? Oh boy, I don't think it's anything like what goes on today. I do believe in believers' hearts. I really believe that, that that's true in hearts. But those hearts, that, that would be a revelation of Matthew 18 and verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name. That even means coming to a big so-called worship service. Okay? And worship is not just singing songs. I want to make that clear. Worship is concentrating and hearing and receiving and obeying the word of God when it's being preached. That's the highest form of worship that there is. Period. 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 That's what it is. And because of John 4, verse 23 and 24, and you know, God is searching for worshipers. He's doing that in our experience, by the way. And he even provides the way and the means and the discipline and the training for that to happen. In other words, he does it all. We just need to submit because he only does what his son has finished and is only brought to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, this is very convicting to me this morning. Oh, boy. And I, and, I, and I love it because conviction is God loving us and saying, submit your will. Submit Submit and do it instantly. Obedience delayed is disobedience. Submit instantly. And don't pretend in Romans 12, 9, through not receiving and being humble, don't pretend and be a, and God doesn't want his that he sealed and that are his own and that he deeply desires an intimate relationship with to act as a pretender. To pretend. And boy, think of the things we don't deal with in our own personal life with God. Then we get together with others and think we're having fellowship. Well, we see it very clearly. Very, very, very clearly in the scriptures. So we are being brought back first in salvation into, into a relationship with God. Notice that? Having a proper relationship with God means that you fellowship with God. And when each individual does that, now you come together and you have an exchange of Christ, which is fellowship. And that's what fellowship is. It's not another thing. It's not going together to do a certain thing. It's got nothing to do with that at all. It doesn't have a single thing to do with that. Doesn't mean you can't do that and have that, but it's not separate from that at all. At all. What would be the means of doing it? We're going to see this uh, this morning very, very uh, beautifully. So, again, boy, if we could understand this. Here's where the falseness of the, the fleshly works of a believer with lordship salvation and going back to covenant theology and coming up, and all that is is just mixing the fleshly philosophy with God, with the word of God, and you end up with being a Gnostic. You think you have this special knowledge and no one else has it. 
and only the few initiated into it have it. Boy, that's what John, the beloved apostle, battled, and that's what, what Paul did. And no wonder such a battle those two had is, as opposed to anybody else. Because John was bringing out the glory of Jesus Christ on earth, and Paul was bringing out the glory in heaven. And no wonder there was such an attack. He and the enemy doesn't want the glory of God brought out in you and I. That's why he wants to alienate us. Because first and foremost, it's God being glorified, then you and I being blessed. What makes us think we are something? Oh, Lord. Oh, oh. This, look, that person's requiring this of me. Oh, oh, Lord, isn't that awful? Boy, that must be, what a trial, huh? Isn't that intense? Jeez, wow. I showed up and I was something. You know, and for all of us, God brings out that something that ain't nothing. <laughs> Sorry about the language. It is the, it is the, it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that imparts life in John 6, 63. The flesh profits nothing. The words that Jesus speaks, the Spirit, Holy Spirit, in their life, the life that he is. In Romans 7, 18, the flesh that's in us is regardless, regardless of what some would say, you don't have that anymore, and the one nature is lie that is being propagated unbelievably and it fits in and, and its falseness goes into the eternal life and all these other things. Yeah, but what are you going to do to get it and keep it? Where all this other nonsense comes out, covenant theology, lordship, salvation, the flesh profits nothing. I know in me, the apostle Paul said, I know in me that I'm not of, in me dwells no good thing. No good thing. And I don't like that being exposed. I don't like being put in a place where that happens. It irritates us. Yeah, and God in his love says, okay, fine. Okay, you reject my grace for now. Go ahead, I'll let your own backsliding correct you, just like the prodigal. Now, the, your own backsliding in Jeremiah 2 and verse 19, then you get into Luke 15 and see the prodigal. He was the son when he left the house. He, had, he, he was the son of the father, no question about it. But he took his inheritance and went out. You know what he did? He went out by himself. He had a plan. He had a plan. And he ended up in rags. Self-righteousness in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Now, so, to think that God needs to be reconciled. I'm going to tell you right now, that's Lordship Salvation. I'm going to make that crystal clear. To think that God needs to be reconciled. Like, I can do something apart from Christ. You know, the last time I heard John 19.30, it's finished. To think that I need to do something. And then when that stuff is confronted, oh, we don't want that, we want peace, and oh, no. No, we don't. No. The enemy says peace, peace, when there is no peace. God wants to, he's going to establish that in believers. And then when that's confronted and others that aren't taught think it's bad. Don't want any of that. And what relationship won't there be confrontation and conflict? Seeing as how in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we were born in the midst of it, saved or unsaved. 
Reconciling God to us is the most unscriptural thing in expression and in thought and in word. No act of dealing on the part of man could change God's mind, either in his nature or his purpose. Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30, all the way to 39, brings out him his nature, and his purpose, and none of them are separated. God's purpose is based upon his nature, and that is the expression of his mind. That's why he sent his son as his full thought, the full thought of his mind, and that's why he's called the word, because words are a vehicle for thought. The word, the word, the only word, Christ, is the full thought, the thought of God, that's his order. And to try and make sense of the scriptures apart from Christ and what he's done in terms of fulfilling all the types and all the prophecies of the old covenant all the way through is absolute, unscriptural, foolish, delusional nonsense. God acts freely in what is before himself according to his own nature. Period. Period. And when I function properly in the nature that he made mine in the humanity uh, of, of God, the Son, as it was God the Son, and, and, and God the son, the son of God and the Son of Man, truly God, truly man, in that sense we have that in terms of a right human being now only in Christ. Never in terms of the Son of God God the Father, God the Son of God, God the Holy Spirit. Never in that sense. No man will ever see God that way in John 1.18. But he certainly came out and put on humanity so that we could see it. And we will continue to see it. Because no man will see God in all his fullness. And that's why, <laughs> well, how could we? Isaiah 57 verse 15 says he inhabits eternity. When does it start? When does it end? We will constantly never come to the end. Us in Christ, in Ephesians 3, in verse 19, ever come to the end of his love for us. It's just, it's just unbelievable. It's just incredible. So, we see that. It's his authority. And it's in the highest sense because it has to do with his nature. His holiness, too. We brought this out, just touched on it briefly yesterday. His holiness, too, is involved in reconciliation. Again, I'm going to say this, God wants to state it for me and for us together. This is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the full establishment in relationship with God according to his nature and according to the nature of that which is reconciled. This is teaching position and experience and a proper exchange of what fellowship is. Now, it is never, again, here's Lordship Salvation, here's the works, read Romans the fourth chapter, the first eight verses, read Romans chapter 11 verses 5 and 6, please read Romans chapter 5, the whole 21 verses. This work that God completed in Christ, that's that first Greek word of reconciliation. That work that he did and makes real to us 
First, we need to receive Christ to be brought back into a relationship. And then all that, that, that is attributed to that relationship now begins to flow through the preaching and teaching and a proper experience to the equal of the position that we are in Christ. And so it is never, oh God, and oh God, help us. It is never to be reestablished in the old relationship that was permanently broken, permanently forfeited, and it is never returning to that to make it good for God. Yeah, he saved me. Now I got to do all these other things because if I don't, I won't have this. It's not the returning of that. It's the establishing a new one. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. It's establishing a new one which has the stability. Remember stability. When you think of stability, please read Isaiah 33 and verse 6. And please read it with Matthew chapter 7 and verses 24 to 27 with Matthew 16, 18. A firm foundation. Building on a proper foundation so that when things shake you, when you're on that foundation, and he only brings out in us things that can be shaken. So that what can't be shaken remains. That foundation is Christ. So this is the establishing of that one new relationship that has the stability of, see, of redemption, and is the accomplishment of the purpose of God. See? That's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. To work out your own salvation with a reverence and a trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will. A will submitted, James 4, 6 through 10. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 10. A will submitted. Work out your own salvation with a reverence and trembling. For it is God which works in you, both to will, to receive, and then experience the doing of what Christ accomplished for you and I in that love for us. In 1 John 4, verse 18, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love because love, that love has completed everything about each individual. And when we don't experience that, the only other experience we have is fear, and fear has its roots in pride. And then when we don't, we act in even ignorance and don't submit. That just goes into pride, and there's where all that irritation and all that anger and all these other comparison things come out. Still, it is God bringing us back into the enjoyment of that divine favor and grace which we previously lost in a ruined, unsaved state, but now he's bringing us back in that through the word, separating in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 and Ephesians 6 and verse 17, separating those things so that we experience his favor, his grace, his love, to experience it, and something that's lost. Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Does God hide himself? In Isaiah 45, I think it's verse 15, does he hide himself from the pride of men? Yes. Yes, he does. I've experienced it. 
If our gospel be hid, listen to this, it is hid to them that are lost. Can a believer be saved and lost in terms of what they have in Christ? Yes. In whom, 2 Corinthians 4, in whom the God of this world, the religious God of this world, covenant theology, lordship, salvation, annihilationism, universalism, and every other ism down the pipe, in whom the God of this world has blinded, blinded means hardened, unsubmitted will. If I don't know what I'm supposed to submit my will to in terms of understanding the truth about who Christ is in me and who I am in him, boy, the enemy will give me something else and that something else won't soften us and make us ready to receive. It'll harden us. In whom the God, the religious God of this world has hardened, blinded the minds of them which believe not, refuse it. I don't want to hear it. Lest the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. Who is what? Who is he? He's the very image of God. Provided to that individual who functions as a Christian in a lost state through pride, through arrogance, through irritation, through any of all these forms of the flesh. Now I want to form God around that, but should you fellowship with that? Can there be? And 2 Timothy 3, 5, who having a form of God, they have a form of God, they form them the way they want them to based upon their flesh and their pride and everything else who having a form of God, but deny the power thereof. The power there in 1 Corinthians 1.24 is Christ. The power of God, the wisdom of God. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power in 2 Timothy 1.7. That's right. He hasn't given us that. So he has to deal with that and chop it, get it out to get us ready to receive, just like he's doing this morning. Just like he's doing and, and we're, we're doing us in, in each of us this morning. And so... We enter into the fact that he has made peace by the blood of his cross in Colossians 1. Read 1, 20, 21, and 22. Reconciliation again brought up in Colossians 1 and verse 22. Having made peace by the blood of his cross, positionally, he needs to work that in, that peace that's ours, by and then to reconcile us in a proper experience to be the equal of our position in Christ. And he made that peace. He definitely, we have peace. It's not Romans 5, 1 and 2, like even some so-called Greek scholars will tell you, let us have peace like we got to do something. That's not at all what it says. It, it doesn't even make sense with the rest of the context of that whole fifth chapter of Romans. We have peace. Because in Ephesians 2, 14, Christ is our peace. We have it. We have it. And that's why... That's why the most important thing about us, no matter what we do, the most important thing about us, even in our schedule, is to give plenty of time for the Word of God. As much as we can, it's to give time. And if, we are, if, we, if God's given us the ability to, to have a business and to be in control of it, then we need to schedule the, the time for those things so that we, so honestly, if we can, as we can, and, and I believe God's done that with all of us, we can schedule it so it doesn't interfere. So something doesn't, and that can be a distraction too, by the way. You know, when the time's coming, when I, got, I know I got to go and do something, all of a sudden now I'm being distracted. That's protecting us, by the way. And again, if God leads us to do certain things, great. But seek you first the kingdom of God in Matthew 6 and verse 33. And then all those other things 
that keep you from coming will be out of the way. Even, even think about the enemy will even want to use the things that God blesses us with to, be, to take them apart from him and be a distraction why we can't continue. They become more important. The blessings that he's blessed us with become more important than him. Where's the reconciliation and experience there? It's just the enemy will use them to alienate us. How do I know that? I'm going to tell you. I can tell you in tears. I've done it. And believe me, there's no braggadocio in that. None whatsoever. But there's the godly sorrow. Thank God. His grace comes in. And in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, gives me a godly sorrow. It's never with regret. That word repent is not in the right word in the King James. It's never with regret. There's plenty of regret in worldly sorrow that Christians live in because they live like the world. Everything is about their time, their material possessions, and what they must do to get them to bring in what they consider to be their security. Christ is our security, by the way. Let me make that crystal clear. And that's why each of us, too, in a local assembly, if we're a babe, be satisfied with being a babe. If you're a young man, you're, you're a young man, be satisfied with that. Don't make more of yourself. And if you're a spiritual dad, be satisfied with that. And you never exchange those places, by the way. Ever. Just never do. But you have a beautiful flow in those two. And each one is necessary. Think about that. Each one of those is very necessary in its proper place. <laughs> and when I function in proper place, I function in proper image, I don't compare myself as a babe with a young man and as a young man. We've got to be very careful about that. Lay hands on no man suddenly. In 1 Timothy 5.22, let me tell you, don't do that. Don't. And you may give certain individuals the opportunity to function in gifts, but you need to be very careful. And I need to be very careful in that too. And not to do it suddenly. And it takes years to understand these things. It does. And then if we can't do that, we don't think we have the time, that's why we need to come to, to some, by the grace of God that someone's prepared with the accumulation of a lot of failure, about a lot of years <laughs> of teaching and preaching. And that can be whoever he's called us to be with. And that's very important. So he presents us constantly in our relationship with him in a proper image to be holy and unblameable in his sight. He never removes his, rock, his eye in Job 36, 7 and, second, and 1 Corinthians 1, 30 from the righteous and Christ is our righteous. He never view, takes his eye off his son. Never. And he never takes his eye off of us and his son. But do we? Then there's, that's because that's, that's the alienation. Then you, you, you have the blind lead the blind in Matthew 15 and verse 14. And then you both fall into a ditch and do your best to make that ditch as, be, as comfortable as it can get. That's just the world system in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16 to the end of the, end of the chapter there. But here it is. What we need to understand, the passage here that we're looking at in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, especially verse 19. If only we understood this in proper teaching, you wouldn't teach other things. 
like Lordship Salvation. You gotta, he's gotta be your, you have to make him your Lord. Excuse me, he's already that. We've said it several times, and I'll say it again several times. Several times I'll say it again. Yeah, I know, I've heard that. Yeah, I know, you already know it like you should, right? No, we don't. No, we don't. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. God was, was, that's past tense, guys, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. That's potential. At that point, he wasn't paying for the sins of the world. Furthermore, he paid for the sin of the world. And in John 1, verse 29, if you understand the lots in Leviticus, uh, first of all, personally, in Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4, and then the lots in Leviticus chapter 16 and verses 1 through 7, if you understand the lots, one lot was for the Lord propitiation, the other was for those that would lay their hand and receive him personally, for their personal sins were set free. And that had to be personal. It starts right in Leviticus 1 verse 4, goes right into the 16th chapter. Understanding the type, so we have a proper understanding of 1 John chapter 2, 1 and 2. So we're going we're gonna to wrap it up here. Soon, I hope, and pray and trust God. So, we're unreprovable, unblameable, unreprovable in His sight. But what do you suppose we think we are when we're alienated? There's never a question of changing the, the attitude, the disposition, the whole disposition of those, those reconciled things because the purposed reconciliation spoken of in verse 20 refers to, listen to this, all created things as to the vast majority of which no such change can take place. It is the bringing of the whole created scene of heaven and earth into its true order and right relationship. That's, what sec that's understanding 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. And out of that comes a new, listen, it's a new creation. God, as far as he's concerned, no matter what's going on in this world, what, what Satan thinks he can do and doing in this world, God has, as far as he's concerned, made a whole new creation. First and foremost, he did that through Christ on the cross. Whole new creation. And guess what comes out of that new creation when we receive Christ? A new creature. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. Understanding it by the grace of Almighty God and being, part, being taught properly, uh, the truth of that verse. No cause of ours could change anything because it's already done by Christ. It's this, the earth, heaven and earth. What do we mean heaven? Well, even in Job 15, 15, even the heavens are not pure in his sight because of the rebellion in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15 in Ezekiel 28th chapter, verses 15 to the end is right there. And we can see it. This is even humility. This is, God's teaching us humility. You know why? Because he gives us way more than at that point that we can handle. Even that's humility. And when I say that, I am, listen, until you first and foremost, right here, this man, right here, me, way more than I even understand. Way more. I don't know it like I ought to. Not one thing that's being preached today, or being taught today, through me as a vessel, do I ever even know 
the way I should. But thank God, he's, he's teaching me. So as we wrap it up this morning, no change can take place. You didn't need help. The only change that could help, that a Christian could help, would be in the flesh, because God's already created that. The last time I checked in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever, that men may reverence him and be in awe of him and not in awe about something in the flesh. Thank God for the cross that separates that. God forbid that I should glory. Oh, he'll bring the flesh out on us. You wouldn't. Oh, boy. And we can be very ignorant of it. Very ignorant of it. Oh, I preach and... Oh, all these people here and they do this wonderful and they receive this from me. And I can be, yeah, and guess what? God can show me in a heartbeat, face down in the dirt right after the message. And tell you that right now. We're just vessels. That's all we are. God forbid that we glory in the vessel and not the treasure that's in the vessel. And 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. God was, was, 2 Corinthians 5.19, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. It is not now that God is in Christ reconciling. It's already done. It's finished. He doesn't need help. The passage states it very clearly that that apostolic ministry that he gave, Christ gave to flow through the Apostle Paul to us as Christ's church, his body, flesh, and bone, Ephesians 5.30, his, his church in Matthew 16 and 18, his bride in Revelations 19, 7 and, and uh, 10 and 12, right through there, 9 actually, 7 and 9, that it was in the place, in Christ's place, flowing through him of Christ's personal ministry, finished, founded, foundational truths, on the blessed Lord having been made the sin sacrifice for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. That goes into that reconciliation. That you and I, in Christ, and those only, not a bunch getting out of hell, skipping all of this, like God skips things, doesn't he? You would skip the growth of your own child to have a proper relationship with him, wouldn't you? That we might be made experientially of the righteousness of God positionally in Christ. And that's the book of Ephesians. But you know what? Here's what this brought out. Even though Christ came and he did reconcile in the world, he did that then. When Christ came, he did it. And he did it. He was. Boom. Done. Finished. Finished. But you know what it brought out in man? And here's all this crappy, stupid teaching again. That man would not have him to that extent. But this was still the service and the very life and aspect of his ministry. He was proposing to the mass of humanity in the world a return to God in, there's that word in, order, there's that word order, and blessing. Can there be a blessing, a true blessing, apart from order? No. Not imputing their trespasses to them, potentially. Saying in here, they don't have to be imputed, put to your account. You can receive it, and if you do, I will see them as put to my son's account. And you will function in the freedom that is in Christ, in Galatians chapter 5, and verse 1. 
But you know what it proved? That man, that it proved what? That man did not want him. He didn't want. And through false teaching, the enemy keeps Christians so they don't, don't have a full return to God in proper order and blessing. He keeps them alienated, keeps them confused in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. They don't experience life, and when they don't, they don't have peace. None of us do without our will submitted experientially and growing. But man, but you know what? This false teaching that comes from the enemy tells man, that man in the flesh is recoverable. He can do something for God. Well, John 15, 1 to 5, without him, what can we do? Though he had sinned, like somehow he's still recoverable, though he sinned. And what? But was that God's thought? Was that God's thought? No, that was Christ. Christ is God's thought. But you know what the result proved? That Christ was not that for them personally. And that's why the Lord had to be made in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that sin sacrifice so that we could be reconciled. So Father, thank you for this truth. And thank you, Father. I, I know we need to continue on this, if it's your will, uh, on Friday or even Tuesday and, and Thursday. But Father, I do thank you for this truth that your cause, you're the cause of my growth. You're the cause of my position. You're the cause of our position. And you're the cause, the very and only cause of our growth. And it is because of you that we have a proper being and a proper image. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.